This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we will help you learn to invest in 20 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name is Bryce and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going, bro? I'm uh, very good, Bryce. I'm a little bit exhausted because of this uh, monster of a book you've chosen, but we'll, uh, (laughs) we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Tell me about it. I am also exhausted because of the monster book that I have chosen primarily from carrying around in my backpack and not <laughs> reading it. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit rude that it isn't offered for Kindle as well. I've I got to take that up with Amazon, but um, we got through it. Yes. Well, one of Get us on got it. through it. Yeah, so Ren, this episode is our monthly book club where each month we choose a book to read and then at the beginning of the next month, um, although this episode's a little delayed because of our enormous Ask Us Anything that we also did, but at the beginning of each month, we will then go back and review the book, talk about the positives, talk about some of the major lessons we've learned, and then select the next book for the next month. So that's what we're going to do today, Ren. That's it. Do you want to introduce the book, saying that you chose it? Yeah, well, the book that I chose with great intention and that looked really uh, interesting and uh, super pumped to read it was called Titan, The Life of John D. Rockefeller Sr. by Ron Chernow, if that's how you pronounce it. It's a Pulitzer Prize winning author um, and it's a biography of John D. Rockefeller Sr. So, w- ordered with great intention. Uh, we had two months to read it. I had a trip in Bali to read it. It's 800 pages. Yeah, thank God we had the two months. <laughs> And to be transparent, Ren, as with book clubs, um, you know, not always goes to plan. I managed to get through about 50% of it, but that's also because I got sidetracked and read a couple of other books in the meantime. Which I am still a little bit filthy about, to be honest, because <laughs> I you know, took one for the team and finished it, literally yes. finished it this afternoon. No, it's a massive effort. I, I applaud your commitment to the cause and really look forward to knowing what the book was about. I'm, I'm not going to tell you how it ends. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't know which 50% I read. Maybe I read it from back True. to front. <laughs> Every second page. Yes. So, let's crack in, Ren. John D. Rockefeller. Uh, I, I guess the way we want to do this is just the book is written chronologically. Maybe we just sort of work through it chronologically at some point i'll start contributing a lot more than you are yes and uh we'll just sort of talk about any of the key lessons we took out along the way okay yeah 
Yeah, sure. Well, to kick off, I guess, because I definitely read the first bit, I guess for anyone who is unaware of who John D. Rockefeller Sr. is, he became the first American billionaire. That's what I got out of the book. He built... Close, close, but no. no. Oh. His wealth peaked at $900 million in... Uh, I wrote it down somewhere. Um, I, I rounded it up. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Mate, you haven't had a good start here, have you? <laughs> Maybe I was reading a different book. His net, his net worth peaked at $900 million in 1913. Right, okay. So he got so close to being a billionaire. Yeah, billionaire um, in today's dollars. He built the Standard Oil Trust, which we will get into later. And is you know the Rockefeller name is incredibly well-known throughout particularly America now um, and, and still is and, and went on to become a, a massive philanthropist. So that's probably a very, very, very brief description of who he was, made yeah. all his money in oil. Um, so let's kick it off, Ren. Yeah, nice. Now, um, we still are an investing podcast, so uh, I want to start off with one thing, one quote from his childhood. Well, like when he was looking back on his childhood, he told this story about uh, how he was a kid, he was working for a farmer and he was earning 37 cents a day. And there, he also, at the same time, lent $50 to a farmer, another farmer at 7% interest and collected $3.50 at the end of the year. And as he later explained, the impression was gaining ground with me that it was a good thing to let my money be my slave and not make myself a slave to my money. And that, I think, is exactly why we invest. Mm-hmm. You know, as Warren Buffett says, if you don't learn to make money while you sleep, you'll work until you die. Yeah. Similar similar sentiment here from Rockefeller that he realized as a kid. Yeah. Awesome lesson to realize so young in life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Let other people work long hours and make money for you. Own Own the businesses that generate money. Don't just work for the businesses. So anyway, that's probably the only thing that I wanted to talk about from his childhood and growing up. If you want to read the book, you get so much detail about it all, but we're going to try and nut this out in 20 minutes, so unless you've got anything else about his childhood? No, nothing major. I think it was evident, though, going to his later teens and, and whatnot, that he was you know, quite frugal with his money, which I think is also another important lesson. And uh, that, yeah, I think that's probably what I took out of, out of that, that part. He was so frugal with his money that when he had kids, so he had like three girls and then a boy... And the youngest kid, who was the only boy, was forced to wear his sister's hand-me-down clothes until he was yeah. eight years old. Yeah. Devastating for the boy. <laughs> and there's photos in the book of him wearing a dress, not looking too happy. So, <laughs> that is how frugal... You know, Rockefeller was, at one stage, the richest man in the world. Yeah. And even adjusted for today's dollars, you know, he's, he's right up there. And yet, his kid had to wear um, his sister's hand-me-downs. So, mm. yeah, very frugal. Frugal and also, it's probably something that was more evident later in the book, um, and I guess jumping ahead a bit here, but frugal but also didn't really show in the early days that he was pretty well off with his cash. Wasn't a, wasn't a you know, I guess it goes in line with being frugal, but he wasn't sort of splashing his cash around. It was very clever with how he managed his money. Um which was another good lesson. Yeah. So, let's get into how he made his money. Sure. So, 
the oil was first discovered in like serious quantities in Pennsylvania in the mid 1800s and it just so happened that at that time Rockefeller was you know like a 20 year old businessman in Cleveland Ohio uh, and he started refining oil which there was a little bit of right place at the right time and there was a lot of you know being a pretty incredible businessman in the early days when oil was discovered in Pennsylvania there was a lot of people who didn't think it would last uh, Rockefeller invested for the long term set up a refining business believed that the oil industry would last pretty good prediction if you look at the next 150 years yeah the like the the context of those early days is pretty crazy it was so volatile, like massive boom and bust cycles. There's some pricing that they give in the book. So in 1961, the price of a barrel of crude oil fluctuated from 10 cents a barrel to $10 a barrel, mm. like just just all over the shop. And so in that context, Rockefeller really started to consolidate oil refining to the point where Without getting into all the details, in 1872, they, they talk about this moment in his business career. They call it the Cleveland Massacre. And basically, in a month and a half, he um, swallowed up 22 of his 26 competitors in Cleveland, just yeah. dominated the oil refining uh, market there, including buying six of his competitors in just 48 hours, which is mm. a pretty crazy M&A spree by any massive yeah. um, and essentially what Rockefeller then became was the oil refining monopolist by the 1890s 84% of all petroleum products sold in the US were done by his company Standard Oil and then also they uh, owned 33% of the drilling in America in the 1890s by 1907 Standard Oil refined 87% of kerosene in the US and the closest rival to this company was 20% smaller. So he was just, they, they monopolized basically all of America and then started exporting overseas. Look, there's a, there's a lot to the story. It's a pretty fascinating business story, but mm. in a nutshell, that's how he became the richest man in the world. Yeah, it's a, it's a great story. And the author paints him in both a, a positive and negative light at, at stages. You know, sometimes he can be perceived as quite evil. You know, he, 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 was, he was very ruthless in, in the way that he went about sometimes monopolizing, I guess. But then, you know, the book explains that he was donating 6% of his income to charity from, you know, the first day that essentially he was earning, you know, decent some decent amount of cash. I think from what you just explained, Ren, particularly at the start, he bought out his first partner because I think they were having difficulties between the two of them and and, and John had a, a vision that he thought was probably not in line with his partner's vision, so so he bought out his partner from the from the business. John had a very uh, constant drive for improvement and I think he didn't really let others stop his progress and he had a, a vision and a, a really good sort of longer term vision that I think not many others saw around him and in investing you know we talk about trying to find managers that um, you, you kind of back in uh, and I think in this instance uh, John's a, a good reflection of you know what a really good manager is in terms of um, capital allocation and, and a longer term 
relentless vision and I think my major point was constant drive for improvement. So from what you just described, particularly at the start of the book, because that's pretty much what I read, um, (laughs) that's what I got out of it. No, no, yeah, it's a good point. And to put it in context, one of the partners that he bought out, this guy called Andrews, in 1978, uh, Rockefeller bought his share of the company out for $1 million. If Andrews had just held onto his shares in the company, by the early 1930s, it would have been worth $900 million. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean, if that doesn't illustrate the idea of long-term investing and holding mm. on to your winners and letting them mm. grow, mm. this guy who was Rockefeller's partner could have been one of the richest men in America, one of the richest men in the world, if he had just held on to his standard oil shares. Uh, but instead, he sold it off for a million dollars. Less than 50 years later, it would have been worth $900 million. So if that doesn't teach you a lesson about uh, long-term investing, then I don't know what will. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Yeah. We also talk about, you know, finding businesses that reinvest back in themselves. And this is a great example. You know, Rockefeller was just constantly reinvesting in the improvement of his business and driving forward, wasn't splashing cash around and really just focusing on dominating the industry. So another another lesson that we try and find today that was obviously a focus for John back back then. Yeah. And I guess, look, the, the, the point is, and people are probably getting frustrated because we haven't said it yet, but like a lot of what he did is now illegal. It was yeah. um, very anti-competitive. There, yeah. there's, a, there's a story that sort of illustrates the extent of how much of a monopoly Standard Oil was. So in the mid 1870s, there were a lot of American customers that were frustrated with Standard Oil, so they turned to a competitor, Republic Oil, a company that advertised itself as, you know, the competitor to Standard, and it um, cultivated customers that loathed the monopolistic trust. Turns out that uh, Republic Oil was actually owned by Standard Oil. So, like, (laughs) they, they just, they owned the market, they undercut price they did things with you know uh, transport providers like railroads uh, they got kickbacks and uh, there were these things called drawbacks which essentially if a competitor moved oil on a railroad standard oil still got paid so there was a lot of anti-competitive stuff and i guess that takes takes it to 1911 when the u.s supreme court actually broke up standard oil because yeah. it was monopolistic and it was 
Uh, in America, they call it antitrust law. They were breaching antitrust law. In Australia, it's competition law. Turns out, though, you know, the bloke was pretty blessed because the Supreme Court breaking up Standard Oil was actually a massive windfall for Rockefeller because all these companies then were individually floated on the share market and investors realized that there were a lot of undervalued assets in those companies. And so his company was broken up in 1911 and by 1913... That was the peak of his net worth. Yeah, he made a fortune. Yeah, yeah, literally in two years of what would you would think would be the worst moment, getting your company that you built broken up, he uh, his net worth peaked. So yeah, yeah, he had good. He had a good sense of timing as well. But as you said right at the start of the episode, right, right time, right place, but combined with his, I guess, savvy business sense. Yeah, he. Yeah. <laughs> turned all, all opportunities into positive well most opportunities into positives from from his point of view to, to give you an idea of how perfectly timed the rockefeller life was when he started refining oil it, it was mainly for kerosene for lighting gasoline which at that point was an unwanted byproduct in most cases wasn't really thought of value as valuable and yet in his lifetime henry ford's you know, Model T, first sort of like mass-produced consumer car, that ran on standard oil. And when the Wright brothers flew for the first time, that also used standard oil uh, gasoline. So the, uh, you know, even the unwanted byproduct that he produced was uh, used in, you know, two seminal moments in world history, I guess. Yeah, fascinating stuff. He smashed it. He did smash it. (laughs) So that's how he made his money, Ren. Went on to be... Well, I'm sure he was a billionaire, but anyway, in today's terms, he certainly was back back then. Yeah, and the other thing was, and this is you touched on it before, but so what, one part of Rockefeller's life is the Standard Oil Company and all of that. The other part of his life is he really professionalized philanthropy in a way that yeah. never had been done before. Yeah. Uh, he you know, the Rockefeller Medical Institute and stuff like that, that like giving to science as a cause, it was a pretty novel idea. The professionalism with which they gave money and, you know, it wasn't just about slapping a name on a building or anything like that, which a lot of the other, which, which philanthropy to that point had been about. So he's really known in that sense as well. And if he hadn't given away all of his money, then he would have easily got over a billion dollars. Yeah, true. Yeah. I think he died with like 26 million left. So he'd given away, you know, oh, wow. everything over the course of his life. Well, he created the University of Chicago, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he endowed it. And yeah, that was one of his big projects. The Rockefeller, Rockefeller Medical Research Institute was massive as well. And um, uh, a bunch of other bunch of other things. Nice. Yeah, so look, just we're, we're sort of brushing up on 20 minutes, but just to give yeah. people an idea of just how big Standard Oil was. So once Standard Oil was broken up, it was separated into each sort of constituent part. I think there was 34 companies. Some of the biggest companies and what you might know them as today. So this Standard Oil of New Jersey became Exxon, oh, sorry, became Exxon. Wow. Standard Oil of New York became Mobil. Standard Oil of Indiana became Amco, Am- Amico. Yeah. And Standard Oil of California became Chevron. 
<laughs> and then Standard Oil of Ohio was taken over by British Petroleum. So some of the biggest oil companies that we think of today actually were all part of the Standard Oil monopoly. Gee. Yeah. Wow. And so I'm interested to know if, and I'm not sure if you do, but if the Rockefeller family he'll still have stake in any or part of those. Oh, know. I'm sure they do. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Huge. Yeah. What What are some of the major lessons, I guess, from an investing point of view that you took out of this um, this book? As you said at the start of the episode, it's not a, a book that's directly related to investing, um, but it's certainly got some great takeaways in there. Are there anything, any lessons? I, I guess, what are your major major lessons? So I think what we talked about before about that just the unbelievable growth in this company and you know if you had been an investor and you'd held on i think that that's probably a key takeaway for me and just the outsized returns that good leaders can create for a company if you held standard oil shares you wouldn't have wanted to hold you know a oil etf you would have wanted to own standard oil but yeah, I think that's probably the main one. It, it is ironic. If you read the book, he, as an investor, was actually uh, quite poor and got sucked up into a number of scams. And uh, yeah, I think um, it's interesting to see how you know this unbelievable businessman probably wasn't the best investor. It is a diff- different skill set, I guess. Very, very fascinating guy. Yeah, fascinating. Nice. What about you, mate? Half the book, any takeaways? <laughs> From what I read, I mentioned it at the start. I think, you know, finding companies that have managers that are consistently looking for ways to improve, using the, the capital that they have in an effective way, reinvesting back into the business for growth, longer term growth, you know, they have long term vision. I think those are really important characteristics of managers. And John certainly showed that, you know, he was pretty ruthless in, at times and, and relentless with his vision and, as I said, didn't really let others step in the way. I don't know if that's, you know, the best management style, I guess, for today, but it's important, I think, to have companies with strong leadership. You know, I look at Jeff Bezos, for example, and he certainly has a long-term vision for the company. He's not so concerned with the short-term results and and you know, pleasing investors shorter term. And I'm sure, you know, as you said, investing in Standard Oil back in the day, you'd much rather be in that than certainly any of his competitors or even an oil ETF, as you said, Ren. So that was probably my biggest takeaway. Yeah, you actually made me think of two more things. So the the funny thing in the book, which surprised me, was sometimes they would pay like 33% dividends, which... It's just crazy when you think about it today. Like, yeah. imagine if a company was paying a thirty-three percent dividend yeah. in today's market. It. You like it would the share price wouldn't it wouldn't be thirty-three percent for long. Like, it, no it, way. Yeah. Anyway, that I found that interesting. Um, the other one. So in retirement, when Rockefeller was you know earning his Standard Oil money, he was making a dollar ninety a second, which at the time was unprecedented. Yeah. Wow. Looking at uh, Jeff Bezos last year, have a guess how much he's making a second. I think I remember this stat, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say over I don't know fifty thousand. 
<laughs> Mate, 50,000 a second. No, I'm going to say 1,000. Ah, uh, okay. No, that's closer. $3,182 a second. Wow. Which obviously, wow. like, you've got to factor in inflation compared to Rockefeller, but still, in 100 years, it's, uh, it's a pretty massive step change. Yeah, he smashed that. Yeah. I read somewhere that he could spend, you know, multiple tens of millions of dollars a year for the next hundred years or something and he'd still have cash left in the bank. So, yeah. Compact. Well, if he wants to sponsor Equitymates, we'd be happy to have him. I've <laughs> got a new email address now, contact at equitymates.com. So, if Jeff, you're listening, hit us up at that and we can talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think uh, that brings us to the end of this book club. Yes. And... Uh, I mean, it was a good book, but I'm glad to have finished it, to be honest with you. I Same. Far it, out. It was, it was long. <laughs> Next month, we have, we're going back to a more conventional investing book rather than a biography. Nice. Um, but we'll keep mixing it up in future months. So, so it's your choice. It is my choice. Uh, and this month, we will be reading The Most Important Thing, Uncommon Sense for the Thoughtful Investor, by Howard Marks. And if you're not familiar with Howard Marks, he's the uh, chairman of Oak Tree Capital Management. Uh, his memos are definitely worth a read and hopefully his book is as well. But we'll tell you in the first episode of next month. Yeah, looking forward to this one. Should be a classic, as you said, Ren, next episode of next month. Any housekeeping from you, Ren? No, just um, if you want to read along with us, which I think is probably the best way to participate in the book club and get the most out of these episodes um you can jump on our website and you can get a link to the current book and all previous books that we've uh we've done an episode on nice oh and subscribe to next stop trader if you haven't already and thought starters and instagram and like our facebook page and uh our twitter that's rarely used (laughs) and send ren a nice email yeah, please do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick of all the hate mail. <laughs> nah, I think, um, yeah, that's, that's probably enough. We'll leave it there. Until next time. See you, mate. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.